Hello everyone. I've titled my sermon this week, This is the Way. And if you get the implied reference, you will realize that I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I was actually a junior in high school when the first installment in the series occurred, A New Hope. And, and on opening night, I waited two hours and was second in line to purchase tickets in Altus, Oklahoma. I think everyone from Tipton gave me money to purchase their ticket. I bought 47 tickets for my classmates. Okay, so how many of you are fans of the new Disney show, The Mandalorian? All right, for you that may not know, The Mandalorian is set about nine years after A New Hope. The Mandalorian is a lone bounty hunter who travels the outer reaches of the galaxy far from the authority of the New Republic and the Empire which is resurfacing. Through his travels and his hunt for bounty, the Mandalorian takes possession of Baby Yoda, Grogu. The Mandalorians have a code. Strength is life, for the strong have the right to rule. Honor is life. For with no honor, one may as well be dead. Loyalty is life. For without one's clan, one has no purpose. This code is summed up in their motto. This is the way. This morning, I wanted to take an adventure to discuss a code for which we as Christians must adhere, a code of truth found in the words of Jesus. Jesus has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14, verse 6. As we have traveled through the Sermon on the Mount, we have come face to face with many kingdom ethics, ways in which we are to live out our lives in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, here on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of heaven is here now. And we as his followers are honoring our king by living out this way, living out the, this way in our families, at school, at work, in this community, and in this family of God. I want you to think about this. If we made the Sermon on the Mount our handbook, our code of ethics, our code of conduct, our way in this world, would not others want to know the way, to understand the way, to desire to be part of the way from what they were seeing in us? They would see us being Jesus and want to learn of this way. This way, we all know, is not an easy journey, is it? It's not. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus in our next section of the Sermon on the Mount. Pretty tough words. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is a very disturbing verse for me and has brought about many heartfelt questions over the years, questions for which I've struggled. And I will share these questions with you, but know my faith, my hope, my trust is firmly grounded in Jesus Christ. All right, let me throw out some of these, these questions that have, have troubled me. 
Okay, so if, if, there, if there are only a few who will find the narrow way, how does a person end up being one of the few? And then who decides who are the few? And if every church claims a truth, a way of their own, can we all be right? How do, how do I know if I'm in the right group? And is being in the right group a golden ticket for entrance? Which brings me to another question, what if my truth is not the right truth? I mean, these are heartfelt questions for which I've struggled. Anybody with me? But here's what I do know. I know the one who has the truth. And I pray our lives are dedicated to knowing and understanding the one who is truth. Brothers and sisters, this is the whole reason for the good news of Jesus. Through Jesus' death on the cross, the three days in the tomb, and by his resurrection, Jesus opened up a path to eternal life. This path of destruction is not what God ultimately wants for anyone. Listen to this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Brothers and sisters, following Jesus is an act of trust. And Jesus knows this trust. He knows the way. And through the days of his life, it says Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. He was heard because, because of his reverence through his obedience, through what he suffered. Our Savior, Jesus, knows the way, and he lived the way. He pointed us to the way. We know the kingdom ethic. We know the way we are to live and to act in this world. It's a way of self-sacrifice a way of denial, selflessness, generosity, mercy, grace, love, kindness, self-control, and I could go on and on. And I know this is hard to comprehend, but there are people in this world who would choose a path that leads to destruction. We know these people. They choose a path of selfishness and power, a path of want and desire, and to be straightforward and bold. There are many likely those who are listening to my voice right now who have chosen the wide path, the easy path, the path that leads to destruction. But James, James, if you knew my life, if you, you would make the same choices. I, I don't know, maybe, I, hopefully not. Brother and sister, I often struggle with my own choices. I can empathize with you. I can try to understand. I can try to step in your shoes to get a glance, to, get, to create a picture. I can pray for you, walk with you, implore you, point you to the way. But ultimately, ultimately, the choices we make are our own. Jesus is teaching a reality in these verses. We choose the way. We choose the path. We choose the destination. And our Heavenly Father, listen, listen, listen. Our Heavenly Father is going to honor the choices we make. Some choices lead to destruction, while other choices lead to life. And God will give us what 
we want. And if that is hell, we can have it, right? Brothers and sisters, the story of the gospel culminates with God bringing final justice to this world. God setting all things in their proper place. Listen to this verse from Psalm. Let the sea roar in all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. You know, in talking about this judgment, do you, do you remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16? He begins by saying there was this rich man. Now, just a side note, time out, just a side note here. Remember, when Jesus begins by saying there was this rich man, there was a certain guy, he is doing so to remind us what type of genre he is using. This is a parable and not an allegory. So let's listen to this reading and see if we can pick out the wide way versus the narrow way and what we can learn from this parable. And, and by the way, I'm not going to try to cover all of this today, but I do want to take a snapshot of these few verses that we're going to look at and see if we can discover the way, okay? Listen to this. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So, brothers and sisters, we have two individuals, one rich, one poor, one who feasted and one who ate scraps, one clothed in fine linen and purple and the other covered in sores licked by dogs. The rich man has no name while the beggar is given an identity, Lazarus, and both these men die. The rich man, whose identity is formed from his greed, his power, and his opulence, is in Hades being tormented, while the beggar is carried to, by angels to Abraham's side, the friend of God who comforts Lazarus. And if, and if we were painting a canvas, couldn't, couldn't we take our brush and begin to create this wide and narrow path which leads to destruction shared in this story? Of course we could. Now, mine wouldn't look that great, but, but we all get the picture. We all could come up with something, a picture of what this looks like. It's very obvious. Okay, let's continue to add layer upon layer to complete our rendering of this section of the parable. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. And now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, 
Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place a torment. Okay, so the wide way, the narrow way, the rich man is tormented, Lazarus is comforted, the rich man already received his good things, he already received his heart's desire, he chose a path, he received his reward upon this earth. And Lazarus? Lazarus, the crippled beggar, he is receiving his reward in eternity, a home with the faithful. And let me just make two observations of the rich man in this parable. The rich man is unable to recognize he is wrong. There's no remorse in this man. He ignores his neighbor. He discounts those right in front of him. In fact, we often forget in his torment and anguish, the rich man is still demanding, still barking out orders, send Lazarus to ease my suffering, send him to my father's house. In torment, the rich man's character has not changed. All right, here's number two. The rich man does not ask to get out of Hades, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. He, he doesn't ask for clemency. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project puts it this way about hell or Hades. Hell is about God honoring our decision from a life and identity apart from him. And brothers and sisters, this story is an incredibly sharp warning for Jesus' audience, particularly for the religious leaders of that day. Jesus' harshest rebukes were reserved for the religious leaders of his day, and their pattern of selfishness, power, want, desire are all on full display. But please, please, please. Don't take yourself out of this story. And please don't assume you were Lazarus. I reflect on the numerous times my selfishness has ignored those right in front of me. My soul hurts because I often choose the rabbit trail that leads to destruction. There is still within me a, a heart keen on selfishness, power, want, and desire. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We have a choice. Each of us are choosing a way. The strokes of our canvas are being brushed by a force within us or a force outside ourselves. We either are choosing our own way or the way of Christ. Listen to this verse. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's a word in this passage I want to key on for the rest of our lesson. It's the word destruction. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. The word in the original language, apaleo, carries a meaning of termination or something of something or someone causing so much damage it can no longer be repaired or it no longer exists. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and many are those who will find it. Remember, Jesus is using imagery to complete his canvas. A narrow gate, a wide gate, life, destruction. Each of these images can be found in the human soul. And Jesus is placing a choice in front of his hearers. Choose life 
or choose destruction, God will honor your choices. The language of Jesus, this language he's using to this crowd, it would have been familiar to the Jewish people who were sitting there listening to the Sermon on the Mount. They would have automatically remembered their upbringing, their schooling as a student, working on memorizing the first five books of the law when they were five years old or ten years old. Their minds would have automatically returned to Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Listen to this verse. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Jesus is laying out an image for which every Jewish teacher or rabbi would have expected their students, this audience, to unlock the context context of their words. The rabbi would have expected his students to return to their schooling and recall the words they memorized as a child. And, And this is an invitation for the crowd to recall the whole context. So let's read the whole context surrounding this verse in Deuteronomy. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commandments, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away and bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God Listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Brothers and sisters, how powerful is this? This is the way. This is the way. Brothers and sisters, we are to examine our hearts and think of our destination. And there is not one person here, not one person, not one thing that will last in our lives. On our deathbeds, it will be us and God. And like the rich man and Lazarus, we will have chosen our path. We will have chosen the destination of our eternity, either by the grace of God or a faith within ourselves. And let me continually remind you, Jesus does not desire our destruction. God is just and good. Amen? God is just and he is good. Hell is not a surprise at the end of the game. Our Savior, 
Our Heavenly Father does not desire anyone's destruction, no one's. He wants all people to repent and come to a knowledge of the truth, but our Heavenly Father will honor our choice. And to be cut off and separated from my Father in whose image I am made, frankly, church, family, that is terrifying. This Hades, this hell described in Scripture is often described as a fire and dark. Now, okay, so, so when you think of hell, Hades, what images do you see? What, what images occur? What, what, what appears? I think everyone right now in their mind is thinking about, well, darkness, yeah, and, and fire. Maybe pitchforks and a red being with horns and a cape, right? It, everybody has their ideas. Someday I would like to do an intensive series on heaven and hell because I believe most of our imagery is formed out of Greek mythology, paintings, false assumptions, and a bad theology. It would be a fascinating study for which I need a couple more years to prepare. Remember, remember these verses are a parable to help us understand the separation which is going to occur. And there's no better verse, no better verse that explains its tragicness in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his mind. Let me read that again. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I know, I know it's tragic. And this, I, yes, this is a heavy lesson. It is. I. I get that. This is about the path of our lives. It's about the way, the narrow way or the wide way. It's about choosing, choosing life or choosing to be separated from my Father, from his glory, from his presence. It is terrifying and tragic reality to be away from the presence of our Father, is it not? And remember the passage from Deuteronomy 30 we just read. The very words of God. These are words coming from his mouth. They were spoken to Moses. And according to Deuteronomy 4, Moses was not to add or subtract from God's word. Therefore, the words out of God's mouth are important. Jesus is pointing his hearers back to these verses, and we would do well to grow from them and to think about them. And if we are choosing life for ourselves and our children, God provides three paths, three paths in that passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy, a way to dwell with him. This is the way. Listen, therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God. Okay, so here's number one. Very simple, love the Lord your God. But brothers and sisters, is this not the greatest commandment? And yet it's often difficult to achieve. Jesus says when we love our neighbor, we are loving God. Loving God and loving our neighbor are choices we can make. And I can't say I love God if I don't love my neighbor. And who is my neighbor? Come on, who is our neighbor? Anyone right in front of me. Therefore, the choice, will I choose to love God and my neighbor? This is the way. Next, therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his 
voice. <clears throat> okay, so here's, here's number two, obey his voice. I can tell you this is very difficult. Obey his voice and put it into practice. And the reason is, is we have a difficult time distinguishing God's voice from man's voice. It's because there are 33,000 different religious traditions in our world today. And each one of them are claiming a truth of their own, each one determining who's in and who's out. In other words, there's a lot of noise surrounding God's kingdom. And God says, obey my voice, the words which come out of my mouth, spoken by my prophets, and now in these latter days is spoken by my son who is the word, and spoke only, Jesus spoke only what his father commanded him to speak. Therefore the choice, will I choose to obey his voice? This is the way. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. Okay, so there's number three. Hold fast to the Father. Hold fast to the one true God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We need to hold fast, abide in him through the trials of our life, for they will come. Listen to this verse. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Hang on, brothers and sisters. Hang in there. How many of us know a faithful Christian who gave up? Who let go of God later in their life? Most of us do. Therefore, the choice will I hold fast to my heavenly Father. This is the way. In our drive time, Deborah and I are reading The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. It's an odd and interesting read. The Great Divorce is a classic Christian allegorical tale about a bus ride from hell to heaven. It's an extraordinary meditation upon good and evil grace and judgment. And Lewis' revolutionary idea in The Great Divorce is that the gates of hell are locked from the inside. Hmm. It's a, here's a quote from the book. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. How true. Hell is often what we want. We choose the trajectory of our thoughts and our actions, and our decisions point toward a way, a way that leads to life or a way that leads to destruction, the narrow way or the wide way. And each of us will stand before the Lord giving an account of our lives, our choices, our decisions. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Brothers and sisters, this is the way. I love you all. May God bless you.